You're listening to the Co-Main Event Podcast. And now your hosts, Ben Folks and Chad Dundas. That's right. You're tuned in to another episode of the Co-Main Event Mixed Martial Arts Podcast. I'm your co-host from BleacherReport.com, Chad Dundas, and joining us, as always, from USA Today and MMAJunkie.com, it's your friend and mine. It's Ben Folks. Ben, uh, you rolled into my house today with, like, uh, like you raided a fat kid's candy stash. You've got uh, coffee. You got a cup of coffee over there. Yeah, You've got a, uh, a Nalgene bottle of either half full or half empty with water, depending on, on your perception of the world. Mostly full. But you've go got a, a granola bar. A, it's called a Big and Chewy. Big and Chewy. Uh, and you've you got a sack full of nuts. Got some roasted nuts. So they're not feeding you at home? Like, what's going on here? Well, look, man, I'm busy, okay? I'm busy. I'm, I'm working all day. And then I got to hurriedly rush over here to your house. I only have time to stop at your, you know, podunk little gas station out here where there's a bunch of ne'er-do-wells hanging out trying to trying to mug an old fellow like me. Uh, I got to grab what I can, you know? And it's today the, the thing that you could grab is a sack full of nuts. And this big chewy granola bar that you already sack mentioned. Sack full of nuts and a big chewy. That'll keep me going. You, look, you don't want me over here hungry and angry. That'll no, be I don't worse. want you any more irritable than you already are. That's right. So why are you going to make a big deal out of it? I just thought it was interesting. I'll bet you did. I'll bet you did. Sack full of nuts. Anyway, this week's music, Ben, comes to us from listener Zach Nelson and his band Retaliate. Okay, definitely a neo-Nazi group name, right? I don't, I, I don't think so. I think they're just a normal hardcore group. Is it spelled weird or anything? Nope, just Retaliate. All right. They are pretty hardcore. If you like what you hear from their music, you can find more at RetaliateHC.com. The HC stands for hardcore. Okay. I was going to ask, what's the HC stand for? Well, you uh, got it right yeah, before no, I could, so I, I didn't have to. So you're, you're a noob. I have to explain <laughs> everything to you. Uh, we'll put the link to that site up on CoMainEvent.com when we get this episode posted. As usual, this episode comes to you in three rounds. In round number one, Tough 18 wraps up this weekend with Gray Maynard versus Nate Diaz 3 or 2 or whatever. And in round number two, you guys hear John Jones wants to fight Cain Velasquez and retire when he's 30. Yep, just as soon as he gets healthy and then fights Glover Tashira and then gets healthy again and then fights Alexander Gustafson and then gets healthy again. And in round number three, uh, Ben Askren met with the UFC on Monday. And if you want to know what happened, you might want to check the Internet right as this comes out, because I'm sure that's that's when the news is going to break. Could be as soon as we post it. Right, right when it goes up, Ben right. Askren will sign with the UFC or not. Whatever is going to happen. It's not going to happen till then. All that plus Master Tweet Theater, are you fucking kidding me and just saying stuff? But right now, like we always do about this time, let's do some listener mail. Listener mail. The first piece of listener mail comes from Dan O, who's really been on a roll. He's he's made a, you know, a, a number of appearances in, in recent Well, you're assuming it's mail. all the same Dan O. It is. I know because of narrative <laughs> voice. Okay. Dan O writes, in response to the growing concern among MMA fans and journalists regarding market oversaturation, the UFC has decided to drastically increase the number of events in 2014, probably because Dana White's natural reaction to criticism is to do more of the thing he's been criticized for. Okay, yeah, that's definitely Dan O. I'd recognize that pros anywhere. What can the UFC do to avoid a situation in which one event starts blurring into the next and becomes it becomes difficult to get too hyped up about any particular event or fighter? That's the end of the question. My initial comment is as if that's not happening already. Yeah, okay. The thing about one event, especially the fight night events, the small events blurring together, totally already happening. Yes. But also still the, you know, the big fighters and the big events that roll around, those still stand out on the calendar. I don't think that's really a concern. I don't think it'll get to the point where, you know, a GSP versus Hendricks caliber fight happens and everybody's like yeah, sorry, man, I missed it because I was just too busy hearing about your local event in Guyana, Brazil, or whatever, and, and it just didn't didn't register for me. I still think that that's, there's still going to be three or four events a year at least right. that pop out at everybody. Yeah, no, there always will. There's there's always going to be big big fights. Uh, and uh, the next question that we've had that, that it's kind of related to this one, it's about Lorenzo Fertitta. Uh, but w I think we should, you know, address this one first. Uh, the, 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 the big problem... Well, the first thing that happened at this press conference where the UFC announced the number of events it was going to do in the next year is that Lorenzo Fertitta said they were going to do 54 
And then a lot of events. Everyone was like half finished tying their noose <laughs> when he did <laughs> fifty-two weeks in a year. Right. That's right. So more than one one event per week would be your average there. Uh, I don't know if they'd be stacking two in one day or. Uh, you know how they would manage that, but I mean, uh, like a marathon or like a like when PBS does like a pledge drive, where you'll get like six in one day or something. Yes. Everyone had made the first incision into their wrists with their razor blades <laughs> when Lorenzo Fortita then later did an interview with Ariel Helwani from MMA Fighting, where he said he misspoke uh, and said that quote it would be the number of events the UFC was going to do would be quote in the forties next year. Jesus, so. Apparently, he doesn't even know how many, which is like in remember in Conan, when Conan is a slave for a while and he, he fights in those pits. Until his wins could not easily yes. be counted. And then they say that his wins cannot easily be counted. Oh, the I number remember. of UFC events in 2014 apparently cannot easily be counted because not even the CEO and majority owner of the company knows how many events they're going to do. And how many events uh, will we have once 2013 wraps up? 33. We'll have done 33 events. That's a significant jump up. Yeah, it is actually. And I wrote a thing about this on Bleacher Report that came out today, uh, Monday. Uh, I went back, I was trying to see how many events they had done every year. And it's just a remarkable escalation once you consider it because 2003 and 2004, they did five events each year. Yeah. No, you, you told me that earlier and you asked me to guess. I guessed six and I thought I was lowballing. Yeah. It. You know, you were still over. Uh, then 2005 rolls around the ultimate fighter, the spike TV thing. Uh, obviously that results in sort of an explosion of programming. They up it to like 10. They have a couple years there where it goes like 10, 11. Then they jump up to 18, 19, 20. They're in the mid aughts. And then, uh, in the last few years, you've, you've gone 20, 24, 27, 33. Now we're going to be in the forties somewhere. Although I guess as a caveat, we should mention that Fertitta also said that most of that increase is going to be accounted for by fight night events that are overseas that may not even air in the United States. He promised that they will have some quote-unquote groundbreaking options to be able to watch those uh, events, which I assume means they can't get them on TV. So they're going to be on UFC.com. So like house shows. Kind of. Yes, they're going to be house shows. You're going to yeah. have Jake the Snake Roberts wrestling the one-man gang four nights a week. What, what uh, medium could they possibly air those local events on basically that would be groundbreaking at this point because we, you know in star wars when uh r2d2 has that message from princess leia oh, right. via hologram it, it just it's basically it, a gif yes because it a, just replays over and over yes, again yes a good gif yeah uh like that, that would be sound? that would be pretty groundbreaking and frankly awesome to, <laughs> to watch a fight in in hologram like in your living room little miniature holograms that would be kind of cool uh but yeah to the question i also like though dan o pointing out that uh yeah, what's the UFC's response to criticism that there are too many shows, that the product was being diluted too much? Add more shows, man. A bunch more shows. Right. But well, no, as we were lucky that this wasn't Dana White doing this press conference or else the UFC, he would change the entire UFC's next year schedule to do 54 events, if that's what he had said. Rather than, mis Ra admit, rather that than admit that he misspoke. Yeah. Well, uh, you know, it kind of seems like two ways to look at this. One, I've heard... Uh, from the UFC matchmakers that one of their big problems is as you're adding weight classes, and especially the UFC has now said it wants to add 115-pound women, the more weight classes you add, the more events you kind of need just to get everybody the fights that you owe them contractually. Right. Um, Alir Latifi's got to fight somewhere, yeah. man. And it ain't going to be on American TV. I'll tell you that much. <laughs> be on hologram. Uh, but then, you know, as Dano points out here, the, the more events you have here – Eventually, like it's not as if there are more better fighters somehow just automatically. Like you're just saying, like you know that these guys who didn't used to be UFC quality, uh, according to whatever terms you want to use for that, now they are because we need to fill these spots right. on these fight cards, especially if they happen to be from the region where we're holding the fight card. Right. Well, yeah, and so the number of fighters that anyone cares about remains constant, whereas right. the number of events goes way up. You also get into situations, we do need to move on since this is the first question, but uh, uh, you also get into situations where because you've got so many guys and you're doing so many fights and you're doing so many shows, you get into situations where L Ricardo Lamas is going to fight Jose Aldo at UFC 169 in February for the featherweight title. 
The dude has only ever fought on one UFC main card before, and he's only been on UFC TV twice previous to suddenly being in the co-main event of UFC 169 fighting for the featherweight title. Now, it, because hardcore fans of the sport know Ricardo Lamas is awesome. He's got three finishes in his first four UFC fights. Two of them were Facebook prelims. One of them was on Fuel TV. And then the most recent one was in the first fight on the on the latest or on the Fox show that was back in January. Uh, but I, my question is, are casual fans even going to know who a guy like that is before he shows up and fights for the featherweight title? No, absolutely and not. Doesn't that create a problem, I guess, in selling the pay-per-view, even though it's only the co-main event? You got the the bantamweight unification bout uh, is the is the main event. But still, it's like a guy know, know that casual fans haven't ever heard of before. And what if he wins? What if he becomes a featherweight champion? Yeah. Then I guess everyone's going to get to know him because he's the champ, but still, it seems like a problem to me. You know, this is always something that I kind of go back to, and I wonder how much we overstate this concern, uh, or if it is as real as we think it is, that, yeah, if we're trying to get new people into this sport, or like fans who are, you know, they've heard of John Jones and GSP and maybe Ronda Rousey, and that's about it, uh, and you're trying to tell them that this is something that they should really follow and it's an awesome sport that you should be sitting around to watch every single goddamn weekend, apparently. Uh, I think that you're pushing them away when it just feels like too enormous, like an endeavor. Right. Like you don't feel like your life has room for to, to sit like, down and figure out this new sport and what the hell's going on and what the weight classes are and there's so many of them and who these people are and how do you see them. Some of them are on Fox, some of them are on Fox Sports one or two, some are on Facebook prelims, some of them are on holographic streaming through your CP3, C3PO device. It's And what's the sponsorship tier for that? I mean, we know if it's you're only getting a couple hundred bucks for Facebook prelims, uh, what are you getting for the holographic uh, fights? Those are free. Ads there are free. You, do you pay the advertisers? Yes. Okay. Yeah. Uh, well, we, we might as well, we might as well move on. The second question is from Kent Carter. It's, it's sort of related. It's, I just watched Lorenzo Fertitta's interview with Ariel Helwani in New York City. As a public relations professional, I was quite impressed with his stature and poise. Wondering about your opinion as journalists, is he a better figurehead than Dana White? Now I'll say that this was, uh, kind of unfortunate timing for, for, uh, Dana White's public perception to have this incident where <laughs> yes. he like goes off on, on George St. Pierre at UFC 167, got veins a, bulging in his forehead, caught a lot of criticism for it. Uh, most of it deserved. Uh, and then you have Lorenzo Fertitta come out at this event that the UFC had done uh, about legalizing MMA in New York. And he, he does a really good job at the press conference and then cuts this interview with, with Ariel where he seems just ridiculously uh, well-spoken and uh, is wearing a non-black dress shirt and talking at a normal volume. And he just seems really articulate and sensible. Uh, so it, and, it, like what, empathetic with yeah. George St. Pierre. It it was bad timing for, for Dana White. Uh, and when you see it, it is, it is like kind of a breath of fresh air to have Lorenzo Fertitta come out and give that kind of interview. I'm not so much going to say that he is a better figurehead than Dana White. I think Lorenzo Fertitta is a better business guy. He comes from more of a, of a business, uh, aspect when he's talking, whereas I believe Dana White is the better promoter. Like he's the, he's maybe the best fight promoter that's, that's ever lived. And yeah. certainly the best fight promoter in the world today. Uh, we, we, we criticize him a lot. He's very bombastic. Obviously, he doesn't shy away from voicing his opinion. But, I mean, you can't deny the job that he's done and how good he is at, at uh, selling people on buying the UFC's fights, at least up to this point. I don't think Lorenzo Fertitta brings quite that sort of same energy. Although, I think, honestly, like... I do feel like Lorenzo Fertitta should take some more uh, media responsibilities because I think it gives the UFC like a nice one-two punch, so to speak. You've got Dana White, who's going to uh, go on TV and shout at Joe Rogan about how you need to watch the pay-per-view. It's going to be the most amazing thing you've ever seen. But then when you get situations where you need maybe a softer touch, Lorenzo Fertitta can come in to uh, clean up. Although... Lorenzo Fertitta, he's got some other stuff going on. He's he's sort of busy, you know. It's, <laughs> well, the UFC's not his only deal. Well, and you make a good point that because uh, it is easy to look at Lorenzo in that interview, especially right after Dana White flipped out and go, "Oh, hey, there's a there's a reasonable person here. Why don't we hear from this guy more?" Well, because you know, reasonable people don't always make the best salesmen or right. carnival barkers. Uh, Dana White is that guy who can you know. Not only shout at you about why you need to buy this this pay-per-view, even if you have to sell your own plasma to do it, he's also the guy that when they need to push a certain narrative, he can say whatever. 
and just stick with it. And even if they decide two weeks later that he needs to say something that completely contradicts the other thing, he'll fully commit to that just as hard as he committed to the first thing. It takes a certain kind of person who can do that and pull it off. And for us as journalists, as far as, you know, who provides you with the better sound bites or is the better character to write about, you know, Dana White's a lot more fun in that right, sense sure. for, for media people than Lorenzo Fertitta is. Yeah, no doubt about that. Uh, it's nice to have one guy, I guess, who's more of a business mind and then another guy who's not afraid to, to call everyone pussies on the UG. Yeah. Uh, say that they were butthurt. Things, <laughs> things that will make you a pussy in Dana White's eyes, uh, disagreeing with him about pretty much anything. Well, that is the one thing that he and I agree on. <laughs> People who are disagree with us are pussies. <laughs> Next question comes from Ian Henderson. He writes, having just watched the UFC 167 Phantom Cam highlights, I wondered, given the UFC trying to, that the UFC is trying to break into New York, and recently watching the 20th anniversary documentary with all the talk of making MMA more palatable for mainstream audiences, as well as the good stuff you guys do to investigate the potential long-term effects of head trauma. When he says you guys, he means you because yeah, you, you don't just do a damn thing. published that big article. I didn't do, I didn't do nothing. Uh, uh, does the Phantom Cam make MMA seem more brutal and are the UFC shooting themselves in the foot by showing this type of footage? Uh, I don't know about brutal, but it makes it more suspenseful. Because whenever I watch the Phantom Cam, I'm sitting at home going, get out of the way. <laughs> Look out. Can't you see he's going to punch you in the head? Duck. <laughs> Never works, though. They always get hit and then their face. Their ears wiggle. Wiggles around. Got rubber mask. For one thing, can we stop pretending like whether the UFC gets into New York, gets legalized, if MMA gets legalized in New York, has anything to do with what the UFC does or the image it projects? It doesn't. That's not, it's not about that at all at this point, and that's right. pretty clear. That's, it's a political issue in New York. So let's stop acting like if the UFC would just, like, you know, wear nicer shirts to press conferences, like, then we'd be in New York. No, you know, that's not the issue at this point. I, I mean, I see how it can be the issue for, like, average citizens in New York, maybe who are trying to decide what they think of the UFC stuff, but it's not what's keeping them from getting legalized there. But as for the connection between the brain trauma stuff, you know, it's weird ever since watching that uh, frontline thing about the NFL and concussions, it's a little hard for me to watch the NFL the same way that I used to. Uh, I was just watching a game last night. Uh, you know, my wife's a big Patriots fan, so we had to watch that and huge hit, you know, helmet to helmet downfield collision. One point, uh, and before, I guess I had the, the knowledge about CTE and about, you know, the, all the, the head trauma that goes on and, and football, I would have just thought, awesome, huge hit dude got jacked up. You know, I'm doing the Arsenio Hall, like fist pumping thing. Yeah. You would have got up and, and did that thing where you pretend like you're da uh, doing a dance around a flaming, like a fire that's lit inside a, a, a an oil drum. That's, that's, that's more your of a favorite sack dance. Well, that's more of a touchdown. Dude. Okay. You want to, you want to spin the ball and okay. then like you're warming your hands on sure. it. Like it's yeah. An oil drum. Yeah. Come on, Chad, get it together. Uh, but I don't know. After seeing that and, and kind of just hearing from different football players now who are dealing with the long-term effects of playing football for a career. It's just a little tougher to get that same enthusiasm about it. And I wonder, I mean, MMA hasn't had that problem yet, but then again, kind of seems like it's just mainly a, a function of it having not been around as long. I mean, I think we're kidding ourselves if we act like the same things that have happened to some boxers and football players won't happen to at least some MMA fighters, even if it's fewer, even if it's a smaller percentage of the overall population. We're kidding ourselves if we don't think that some of those guys are going to end up that way. And I think it's a lot is going to depend on what the powers that be in the sport, especially the UFC, do about it when we get there. Because the thing I think that really hurt the NFL here was not uh, that that it happened, but their response, their really slow response uh, to first try and eliminate themselves of any responsibility and then begrudgingly kind of admit their role in it. Yeah, uh, I find myself also a lot more stricken by college football now because they're not, you know, they don't have the same rules in the NFL and they don't have anybody really sticking up for them. And they don't get paid. In terms of the players. Yeah, they don't, they don't get paid. They don't have a, a union or anything like that. So a lot of times in college football, you see those, you see the same sort of helmet to helmet hits, uh, go uncalled, uh, because they, you know, they haven't made such a, an enormous push to try to eliminate them. Uh, from the sport, as far as like the phantom cam footage in the UFC, I don't know that that necessarily 
uh, contributes to the sport seeming more brutal. I mean, it's still, it's still fighting. You yeah. know, we still, I don't think we can deny what it is. It's guys getting punched and kicked in the head. Uh, and, and, you know, you're right. That is at some point going to result in some long lasting, uh, ill side effects for, for a lot of the people that do it. Uh, but I don't think that, that like watching it in slow motion is going to either keep them out of New York, which you mentioned is more of a political thing. And also, uh, you know, or or make people think that it's it's a lot more brutal than it is. I mean, well, it's and let's be honest with ourselves. I mean, like uh, the New York Times uh, piece that uh, I referenced in, in the column that Danny Downs and I do on Sunday, where he's talking about the the recent uh, uh, one of boxing's most recent tragedies, where you know heavyweight ends up in a coma after a fight in at Madison Square Garden in New York, uh, and kind of admits that hey. Let's not say that uh, the vi- like we appreciate boxing in spite of the violence. The violence is kind of the best part. Right. That's one of the things that gets us there. Uh, so, yeah, I, I don't really necessarily have a problem with the, the Phantom Cam thing showing us what's happening uh, in a slower situation where we can really appreciate it. Because, dude, we are there to see guys get punched and kicked in the head. Let's admit that to ourselves. Well, that's going to do it for listener mail this week. Uh, if you have a future comment, question, uh, grievance to air to the co-main event podcast, God knows we got some of those this week. Uh, you can hit us up by going to the website, comainevent.com and clicking the link in the top right hand corner of the screen that says email the podcast. That will let you email the podcast. As for right now, though, we are going to go ahead and get started with round number one. Well, Ben, the UFC is booking this weekend's fight between Bradley Gray Maynard and Nathan Donald Diaz as the final leg of a trilogy, even though their first fight was one of those two-round exhibitions that don't count on anybody's professional record way back at Tough Five. Uh, Nate Diaz won that one, but then a couple years later, they fought the real deal, and Maynard won by split decision, although it's probably a pretty safe bet that Diaz actually thought he won. Uh, ben, in your opinion, well, let's just start with what number this is. Is this their second or third fight? You know, let's just say it's the third fight. Third fight? We're going with reality and not necessarily professional uh, records? I feel, or let's like two and a half. Because if we're going to do that, then, you know, Hicks and Gracie's 500 and 0 starts to sound more legitimate. Just Whoa, what are you, what fighting, are you, what are you guys suggesting in, about Hicks and Gracie's record? Fighting guys in a, in a boat salvage yard somewhere in Rio. Totally legit. Just uh, absolutely Kimbo legit. Slice style. How dare you? How dare you talk about Hicks and Gracie that way? 200 and 0 in, in street <laughs> fights. Well, in guys' backyards. You know, I feel like you you do two rounds with uh, that much career stuff hanging on it as was in the Ultimate Fighter competition. Fine, let's let's count that. My big concern is uh, is Nate Diaz going to show up because I heard he has a high school reunion from the high school that I I think he dropped out of. Yeah, you know, he originally sent that tweet out when they first announced this fight, what, a couple months ago? Yeah. And then I was delighted to see just recently that he's still sticking with it, that he says he's busy that day and he'll think about it. What an awesome move. And at first when the tweet was sent out, we looked at it and we thought, first of all, any high school reunion that Nate Diaz is going to go to, A, I want to be there (laughs) just to see what I want to see if Nate Diaz rolls in to the Stockton high school reunion and everybody's like, Oh, Nate, great to see you, buddy. Where you been? Or if everybody like leaves and he shows up. (laughs) Uh, but then, you know, when the next, the next tweet was sent out, I started to think, you know what? This is like a running gag. Nate Diaz is running a gag on us. And that made me think, that's awesome. Yeah. Because that, that, that's noteworthy, I think. I don't think we've ever, uh, at least not that we knew, you know, maybe the entire war MMA thing was a run and gag. I don't know. But we've never <laughs> been in a situation before where we thought a Diaz was, was, was running a gag on I us. I know. It's like when a, like in uh, Terminator 2, when the computers become self aware. Like, that's what this is a, a Diaz becoming self aware enough of his own perception to run a gag. That, that is, that, that's groundbreaking, I think. And further proof that Nate Diaz, aside from, you know, in the cage, is probably the more capable Diaz brother. Because I don't know that Nick would be able to run a gag 
on us. Unless he's been running a gag for a long time. <laughs> you think it's at some point he's going to get up there and like put on a pair of horn rim glasses and just be like, hello, it's me, Nate Diaz uh, from overseas across the pond. I've just been having you on taking the piss out. <laughs> oh, man, if it turns out he was taking the piss all this time, uh, <laughs> I'll be incensed. But OK, here's one of those fights where I feel like the reaching for the trilogy aspect of it uh, is what's supposed to convince us that this is a main event. Well, yeah, they had to do something because this wasn't supposed to be the main event, right? You were supposed to have uh, Demetrius Johnson defend the flyweight title against Joseph Benavidez right. uh, for their seventh fight. Um, <laughs> but then there was the, the the shenanigans over on the upcoming Fox card where I believe they were going to have Anthony Pettis fight Josh Thompson. I'm doing this off the off the dome. So if I get any of this wrong, I'm sure someone will tell me on Twitter. Uh uh, he's supposed to fight Josh Thompson, but then he, Anthony Pettis got hurt. So they had to pull him out of that rebook. Josh Thompson against Ben Henderson. Is that fight on Fox? Do we know? So I guess Josh Thompson, Ben Henderson. Sure. Yes. Yes, uh, it is. And so then they moved the flyweight fight to main event, the Fox card and promoted gray Bradley gray Maynard's fight against Nathan Donald Diaz to the main event of this bad boy, even though it's still going to be three rounds instead of five which gives Diaz his immediate out for when he loses a decision. Exactly. He'll just say, if this was five rounds or better yet, no rounds, yeah. no time limit, no rules, I definitely would have won. Uh, so, yeah, they had to do something to make us care about this, and I guess the trilogy was the way to do that because you got two guys who come into this uh, who they both just kind of desperately need a win in, in the lightweight division here. Gray Maynard is just one, two, and one uh, in his last four fights. That dates back to the first Frankie Edgar fight in January 1st, 2011, uh, which is basically 2010, right? Am I right? Sure. No? Okay. Uh, so, yeah, he, he had that draw. Then he had the loss to Frankie Edgar. Then he beat Clay Guida by split decision. And then he lost to TJ Grant. Uh, so, you know, he he is a guy who had a – had a brush with the with the championship. It really looked like he was going to win it there once, maybe twice. He needs a win, and then you got Nate Diaz who comes in off back to back losses to Ben Henderson and Josh Thompson, by the way, uh, in his last two fights. So yeah, this is one where both guys need a need a W. Yeah, you know, and this is also I think one of those where. Uh, you know, you see some fights, especially like main event fights, where it's like this is going to determine like who is in the mix or who is the next title contender. And this is one that feels more like it's just going to like cross somebody's name off the list a little bit. Because man, the the UFC lightweight division at this point, there's just not much room for dudes who aren't totally awesome. Even if you are totally awesome, you you still have to get in line. You have to get in a line of totally awesome dudes. If you're somebody who's you know kind of starting to lose a few in a row and just barely hanging on to your position. Man, that's a scary place to be if you're a 155 or in the UFC right now. Yeah, and I think that's where you got to kind of have to start feeling bad for Gray Maynard because at this point he's he's 34 years old. Uh it doesn't seem like he's going to get a ton awesomer anytime soon unless he gets on that Vitor Belfort diet uh, where you just suddenly get super awesome at 36. Uh but you you kind of have to feel bad for the guy just because you know, uh, he he. Uh, if a referee would have stepped in and stopped one of those Frankie Edgar fights when he drops him uh, early on, uh, I don't think anyone would be complaining about it. Besides Frankie Edgar, and then you know if that happens, then Gray Maynard is your champion. Maybe you think completely differently about the rest of his career. As it stands now, he seems like a guy who he's already sort of crested the wave and he's on his way back down. So to come that close and to be in a situation where. Uh, you know, you probably could have won the title. Uh, it, it does kind of make you, you feel bad for the guy. Uh, whereas Nate Diaz is still a lot younger, 28, in fact, shockingly. Nate Diaz, only what? 28 years old. How is that possible? Well, I assume he's lying about his birthday. Uh, but, but, to play Little League? Yeah. <laughs> you start lying about it to play Little League, and then it just follows you the whole rest of your life. you got to keep piling lies on top of lies. Yeah, but so uh, Nate Diaz, I think you could make the argument, has a little bit more left in the tank than Gray Maynard. But I guess my question for you, Ben, is which, which, which one of these guys do you think has the higher ceiling at this point, and, and what is that ceiling? You know... I, I I guess I want to say Nate Diaz, uh, and I can't tell if that's uh, me talking with my my head or my heart there because I feel like the Diaz the Diazes are a precious natural resource in MMA, and we're losing them. Yeah, we've only we're got low. one one left at yeah, this point. We're low Unless on some Diaz's. other Diazes crop up. Yeah, and I'm not talking about you know Diazes and beautiful fucking bodies. I mean, honest to goodness, actual 
genetic Diaz's. Because we, we need some Diaz's around. And I, I don't know, man. If, if Nick Diaz is going to tell us that he's retired and that he has no business, no interest coming back, uh, I really would like to see at least one Diaz brother thriving and doing well. I feel like the UFC is a more interesting place when that happens. And if it's the Diaz who's self-aware enough to pull gags on us, oh, man, that's even better. Plus, I don't know, okay, Gray Maynard, I, I feel like if Gray Maynard wins this fight, you know how he's going to do it, right? It's going to be... Like, he's going to eke out a decision, which then Nate Diaz, of course, will complain about the number of rounds and the scoring and Stockton rules and all that kind of stuff. Uh, and I don't feel like we'll really have, have gone anywhere with that. And then, like you said, it doesn't seem like Gray Maynard's making a beeline for the top. I mean, he already got knocked out by TJ Grant, kind of had his what looks like his closest brush with the title. I feel like uh, if if Nate Diaz were to come out here, maybe, you know, pull off one of his awesome submissions where he has time to flash the double birds right no i think the the uh the preferable way for this to end from the fan standpoint is triangle choke in the middle of the cage with the double the double stockton hay buddy going out both sides yeah that's that would definitely be be the the preferable to a, a split decision that then we have to argue about. And then we can the have Donovan McNabb and Regis film it on the Fox Sports One show afterwards, talking about it. Right? Isn't that yes. what they do? Are they still doing that? Is that show still on? I have no idea. Uh, but yeah, I feel like if Nate Diaz is the one who has the better chance, I think, to finish it and then actually go somewhere. He also has, you know, who knows if things don't go well for him, he can jump divisions. He can he can do all those other kinds of little tricks to to get us interested in him. And hey, still a Diaz man. Still a DS. That means something. Who do you have in the tough bantamweight final between Chris Holdsworth and David Grant? Uh, Holdsworth? I don't know. Who cares? And who do you have in the women's bantamweight fight we doing between this? Juliana Pena and, uh, it says TB, TBD here on, on my, I don't know if we figured out who's the, have they had the. Maybe they'll figure it out this week. Is that what's, I'm not that watching what? that show, man. I, I assume that you were also not watching that show. Or I watched the recap show, which was I stumbled upon without knowing, and it turned out to be way better than actually oh, having really? watched the show because they just showed you the highlights, I've the only, high spots. I've only watched it when there's something. Well, I watched the, the first episode or two um, just to see how the whole uh, women on tough thing was going to play out. And then when something happens where enough people are talking about it, then I'll, I'll catch it. Um, but... You know, it's just the same old tough stuff, man. And I think we've learned by now, haven't we? Like, don't even bother getting excited about anyone based on their performance on that show. Don't do it. Like, it's probably the worst thing you could do to them is start talking about how awesome they look on that show because it rarely pans out that way. You got to get through the finale before you even figure out who to pay attention to. Uriah Hall taught us that much, did he not? Yeah, well, in any case, they're just going to keep making that show over and over again. Anyway, over and over. Uh, Sir Nigel Longstock is here. We're about to play another game of Master Tweet Theater, and that starts right now. It's that time again. Welcome back to the podcast, friend of the show, and noted theatricalist, Sir Nigel Longstock. Sir Nigel, how are you? Good day to you, sir. I am loose and ready. Well, you do look loose. I don't know about ready. I've been rolling my shoulders for hours. My neck hurts terribly. Oh, so that's, that's what that sound is. Okay, well, for those of you who don't know how this works, Sir Nigel's going to read us off some tweets from some various people in the MMA sphere, and Chad and I will try and guess who the tweeters in question are. Chad, are you ready? Yes, born ready. Not true. Sir Nigel? Hit us with the first one whenever you're ready. <clears throat> yes, let's begin. <clears throat> the theme for this week's Master Tweet Theater, by the by, is authorial voice. Okay. Well, as usual with your themes, I think it's gonna time's gonna tell if this is gonna play out. But I'm interested in this one. You got me. You got my appetite whetted. Authorial voice. <clears throat> yes, let's begin. This first tweet was submitted to us by listener Vince Stone. Wait. Listeners are, are tipping you off now? Constantly. Constantly. <laughs> Phil Baroni cannot type the word turd without 20 people <laughs> tweeting it to me. Well, that actually is probably as it should be. Mm, indeed, sir. Anyway, hood behind me like a king cobra for our first tweet from Vince Stone. <clears throat> Does tea not mean tea? Is it like lunch or something? UK cunts! Okay, so tea is spelled T-E-A? 
T-E-A, yes, and there are quotation marks around it. Okay, so this is not a British person then, right? Because they're saying UK like cunts? Visiting the Commonwealth, if I had to guess. But adopting the word cunts, which I, I think is really big over there, so kind of assimilating pretty well. That tells us something. Chad, you, you got any guesses here? No. Uh, the Because of the use of the word cunts, I'm going to guess Joe Rogan. Huh. Okay. That's actually not bad. Um, I'm going to guess Pat Militich. What? I don't know. I mean, I guess it's a guess. He yeah. Would, he would never use that word, <laughs> sir. Never. <laughs> No, no, both fine guesses, at least one of them more likely to deploy the C word than I, but both wrong. It is War Machine. Uh, God damn it. War Wait, Machine 170. Has, has War Machine left the country? I don't think he can leave the country. I, I assume he just read a Jeeves book or something and first encountered this use of yeah, tea. No, that's what happened. Yeah. He read a book. War uh-huh. Machine read a book. Okay. So, yeah, way more likely than War Machine receiving permission from his parole officer to leave the country is War Machine reading a, a Wodehouse novel. Sure. Okay, he he came upon his girlfriend reading a book. <laughs> okay, now we're getting somewhere. Slapped it out of her hands and it fell open to a page with tea on it. Damn it, usually I can, I can spot a War Machine tweet. I'm kind of disappointed in myself there. <clears throat> Authorial voice, sir. <laughs> All right, fine. Tweet the second. Old King Diamond face paint is greater than current King Diamond face paint. Gene Simmons is an ass for that one. I'm going to say Josh Barnett. Hmm. I don't even want to explain it. Interesting. I don't know about that. Uh, let's see here. Someone who would be listening to 70s rock. Uh Pat Militich. Okay, I see what you're doing. Both fine guesses. One expressing derision for previous guesses. Only one correct. It is War... Oh. Uh, Josh Barnett. Sorry. Yeah. War Master. Fuck you. God. Fuck you, Chad. Yeah, that's what you what? get. Oh, yeah. Celebrate. Now, you should be 2-0 and now, but you've messed what? up that War Machine one. Well, I'm still winning, so shut up. Yeah, well, your instincts are off. Look, if you get it wrong, it doesn't matter if you get it wrong by a little or by a lot. The point is, I got that one right. Sir Nigel? Pat Militich does love the old King Diamond, so that's, that's a known fact. Mm, tweet the third. This is a response to a fan. Mm. The miraculous of life. Congrats, bro. And then a picture of a newborn baby. The miraculous of life. I feel Congrats, like Randy Couture bro. to me. Really? I was gonna I was gonna go Mike Goldberg there all the way. Oh, that's, okay. that's such a Goldberg thing oh, to do. Wow. All right. Well that actually that that's not too far off. Sir Nigel. Life bursting forth from a woman is this baby. No, it is Alistair Overeem. Okay. All right, well he's he's a Dutchman. Let's be honest, that could have been almost anyone in this industry. <laughs> yes, it could have. Alistair Overeem, the miraculous of life. Mm. Tweet the fourth. Thou shalt not say fuck you to assholes is not a commandment, but feed the hungry is. Go to freerice.com and join the group, name of group redacted, to donate food to the Philippines disaster. Why is the name of the group redacted? Uh, Because it includes the tweeter in question's name. Okay, there's a hint. So this is somebody big time enough that they have their own charity group? Is that what we're led to believe here? I believe at freerice.com you can sign up and create a group for your friends to donate free rice to communists or however that works. Wait, wait. Read it one more time. Hmm. One more time on the tweet. Thou shalt not say fuck you to assholes is not a commandment, but feed the hungry is. Go to at freerice.com and join the group, name of group, to donate food to the Philippines disaster. Huh. Well, that, I mean, that's a, that's a stumper. It right is, there. because they start out it's kind of just, you know, regular cantankerous kind of MMA right, person right. tweet. And then Mitrionish, you might even say. <laughs> you might. You might even say Sean McCorklish if he were not banned for life. Fuck that guy. Um, but then it goes into charity stuff. And someone who also knows that there was a disaster in the Philippines. You know what? I'm going to say this is Joe Rogan. Oh, that's actually a good guess. Uh, boy. Um, you know what? I'm going to go UFC President Dana White. Why not? 
Okay, I think that thou shalt not at the beginning is not his style, but okay. Sir Nigel? Both fine guesses, both public-minded citizens, both wrong. It is Ronda, Ronda, Rowdy, it is Rousey. Oh. <laughs> Ronda Rousey, Ronda that's who Rousey. it is? Okay. Yes, reading Ronda Rousey. Uh, also, feed the hungry, not one of the commandments. <laughs> I totally glossed over that. Thank, thank you, Sir Nigel. That, that is not a commandment. No. The, the commandments are really mostly stuff you're not supposed to do, right? Like yeah. Not like directives. I assume that Ronda Rousey is at home worshipping a golden cow right now. <laughs> she thinks she's Presbyterian. I also assume Ronda Rousey did not write that tweet. Chad? Well, I mean, it makes sense now that we know the answer, which I guess is how the game works. <laughs> Good point. Authorial voice. <clears throat> Tweet the fifth. Mayhem, call me. Lost phone important in Thailand. Just got back from Thailand. War machine, call me. Well, that we know who that is. Wait, what? Mayhem, call me. Lost phone important in Thailand. Just got back from Thailand. War machine, call me. I mean, come on. It does have the unmistakable ring of a poet Philip Baroni haiku, although I'm trying... Wait, so he lost the phone in Thailand and just got back from Thailand? I assume he was in the process of losing his phone in Thailand when he typed the first half and then got back, bought a new <laughs> phone, and was like, oh, back from Thailand. <laughs> is it the poet Philip Baroni? The poet Philip Baroni is my guess. It is! It is the poet Philip Baroni, his incoherent words ring through the ages. Authorial voice, huh? Authorial voice. I thought each one was fairly obvious, except for Ronda Rousey. No one could get that. <laughs> okay. Well, I guess that wraps up another sad edition, and I guess uh, I won again. Uh, so Nigel, we're track. <laughs> now we're keeping track. What do you got going on, Sir Nigel? You know, it's funny you should ask, It is. Sir. It really I've is. I just completed shooting on a heartwarming film about a Labrador retriever who plays in a basketball game against a team composed of the nation's most dangerous criminals, rapists, murderers, all of them playing basketball against a dog. And what's it called? It's called Con Air Bud. <laughs> and what role do you play? I play the back half of the dog, sir. <laughs> <laughs> Seems the original Air Bud died long ago. Well, I feel like I've said this before, but uh, is it too soon to whisper Oscar? No, never. Never <laughs> too soon for Sir Nigel. Well, that was Master Tweet Theater, and that was Sir Nigel Longstock. Thank you, sir. Get up, Oscar! Get out the way! I can't get down with the kids today! I can't get down with the kids today! Well, Chad, Jonathan Dwight Jones, the 26-year-old UFC light heavyweight champion, uh, recently told uh, Mike Bone and my employer, MMA Junkie, that uh, he has plans, man. He's got plans for his future. And those plans include probably going up to heavyweight, maybe fighting Cain Velasquez, and then getting out of this mess by the time he's 30. More power to him, brother. Now, that's kind of my uh, initial response was, first of all, I feel like a fighter saying something like that at first, warms my heart because I think, hey, that's the way you should do it. Make a bunch of money, beat a bunch of people up, get out of there before age starts catching up to you and the, the damage piles up and you know you, you end up broken down old, old fighter somewhere living out the stereotype. By all means, get out of there before you do that. I also feel like whenever I hear a fighter lay out that kind of plan, especially when they're like 26 and on top of the goddamn world, that almost guarantees it won't happen like that. Well, yeah, and we've always known that John Jones is the kind of guy who's going to have plans, right? He's the kind of guy who's always going to be sort of uh, looking into the future and uh, imagining what is possible, if you will, uh, just because he, he's that kind of dude. He's always been a, a, a different kind of individual. And, you know, he's been so damn dominant at, at light heavyweight. And uh, aside from that, just flat out being enormous all the time, we knew that he was going to probably wind up at heavyweight eventually. Uh, so, you know, it's really not a surprise surprise on any front i don't think that he would make any of these statements i do uh think that the, the sort of lackadaisical way that he has of bringing it up uh is like you said the kind of thing that makes you feel like the mma god's doing to call bullshit on it at some point uh you know the the quote in the story is 
I've really been thinking about me and Kane Velasquez going at it. You know, I think that would be huge for the sport. He's definitely the toughest guy in the division. He's not that big. So I think it would be really a really entertaining fight. So don't be surprised if you see that sooner or later. Just sort of like, ah, you know what I might do is fight the UFC heavyweight champion. Uh, I feel like John Jones is one of the only people that could possibly say that where you would even take notice of it. Yeah, where they wouldn't follow that. And then, then I'll build a rocket ship and I'll fly to Mars and I'll start a colony. <laughs> and and the only and you, you, even though you take notice of it, at the same time, like I said at the top of the show, it's not like this dude doesn't have anything going on at 205. You know, we're stacking him pretty deep down there at this point. Uh, so we got to make sure that, that John Jones takes care of business in the one, two, maybe three fights we've already got booked for him before we start talking about him uh, going up to fight Cain Velasquez. And we'll, there, it'll probably be like six heavyweight champions later by the time we get there. Yeah, the way the heavyweight strap gets passed around. And then also that feels like about the time in your MMA career that you should start to talk about boxing Roy Jones Jr. or like a Klitschko brother or something like that, right? Uh, you know, then you just wind up going to Bellator and dominating the cruiserweight division. Am I right? <laughs> Yeah, put all those cruiserweights on notice. You know, I guess the thing about, like, we talk about uh, how much we would like to see a fighter actually follow through on that blueprint. I'm trying to think of instances where it really has gone down that way. I can't think of a whole lot. Yeah, I mean, normally it's a recipe for disaster, right? Because I remember the the one guy who springs immediately to my mind is uh, Brandon Vera, who said that he was going to be... champion in two weight classes at once, light heavyweight and heavyweight. Uh, and I believe currently just hosts uh, his own podcast, What's Really Going On? <laughs> What's Really Going On with uh, Brandon Barra. So, I mean, that, that, that's the kind of thing that you could argue was sort of like the uh, the jumping off point for, for the theory of the belief in the MMA gods, is that guys would, their mouths would runneth over, so to speak, and then they would sort of get put in their place by the uh, the cruel twists and turns of this sport. Again, one of the only dudes that you can even think of that would uh, even have a possibility of making good on that would be John Jones. But you're right. You know, whenever we've heard this talk about super fights with George St. Pierre and Anderson Silva and, and et cetera, et cetera, uh, none of it has happened. So you do kind of got to take – well, I guess you got to take any – comments about the future of anyone in this sport with a grain of salt when you're talking about moving up a weight class and fighting the champion i think you gotta take it with a whole hourglass full of salt that's a lot of salt well one of the things i think is interesting is that he says that this move to heavyweight permanently uh will uh well that move will take place in the next two years but he's looking to take a super fight sooner than that within the next year now here's what we've got planned for him already First, you have the fight with Glover Teixeira, which I know, or Glover Teixeira, which I know that uh, everybody is super fired up about, right? That was the one after he and Alexander Gustafson just finished going five awesome rounds. Everybody was like, now we must see that Jones Teixeira fight. I'm kidding. Everybody wants to see Jones Gustafson, of course. At the same time, though, Glover Teixeira, not a pushover. Not a pushover, but does feel like a thing we got to get through in order to get what we really want. Uh, which is Jones Gustafson too, right? So, but you got to figure that it's not like he's going to beat Glover Teixeira. And if uh, Alexander Gustafson emerges from his fight with Jimmy Manoa uh, victorious, you got to know that the UFC has put that together thinking, all right, and then we'll do that huge rematch, you know, maybe in the summertime or something in the big July 4th show, whatever. Uh, and, you know, there's no way the UFC is going to be like, yeah, hey, go go screw around at heavyweight for a while first and then let us know when you want to come back and do that Gustafson rematch. So that already seems like his plan is a little bit ambitious. Yeah, well, there's no way they're going to let him be like, well, yeah, go up to heavyweight and maybe beat the champion and then uh, come on back down and finish up your business here at 205 before you move up to heavyweight permanently. Right. So he's got a fight in February with Teixeira. You figure best case scenario, he gets in that Gustafson fight, if, assuming he wins, which he probably will, uh, sometime in the summer or maybe early fall, something like that. Uh, then I would say, unless something crazy happens, we probably want to see him against Daniel Cormier. Uh, that Then it seems like, okay, go on and, and go up to heavyweight, do what you will there. Let's say this all pans out exactly the way John Jones maps it out. Okay, we're just in full-on science fiction territory just, just this point. speculating like a motherfucker. Blade Runner. Right. This is like the, the world around this scenario looks like the world of Blade Runner. Yeah, yeah. Except, there are replicants. Is that Blade Runner? Today? Yeah. They're running around yeah, in futuristic wherever. Anyway, say beats the hell out of Glover Teixeira. 
beats Gustafson this time uh, without any question, just totally stomps on him, either wins a decision or, you know, stops him. But there's no question about it. Then fights Daniel Cormier and beats him too. Woo! Yeah. Dang. Yeah. That's, <laughs> a, that's a good run. I know. That's a nice run. Yeah. Uh, then he goes up to heavyweight, maybe even does become the UFC heavyweight champion. Best fighter in the history of ever well, at that yeah, point. To hear you talk about it that way, shit, yes. There you go. He never gets injured in any of that time, doesn't have to take any time off, hey, doesn't ever hit any speed bumps. He hurts a toe or something. Uh, oh, and uh, tries to carry a gun through airport security. But that's it. Just those two things. That, that to me, like that last thing that you just said seems like the most possible of all. <laughs> like if I were laying, if I were laying Vegas, a Vegas line on this, that would be the, that, that would be the, the best odds. He's got enemies, man. He's got to, he's got to protect himself. But I mean, it could happen, I guess. And then, uh, we're saying he does all that by the time he's 30. Sure. Cause how he's 27 he'll be now. 20, no, he'll be, he's 26. He'll be 27 in the summer. Yeah, I could see him getting that done. And then, I mean, if he does all that, then yeah, walk away at 30, man. Please walk away at 30 <laughs> at that point. Uh, wow, man. I, I like the way you just talked through the, the like the latter half of John Jones's career there in a minute and 30 seconds. That was awesome. Yeah. Then, I'm excited uh, for it before I was kind of felt a little ho hum about it. Now I'm kind of jacked up for it. Yeah. Well then after he retires, he'll host some kind of variety show on one of the hologram streaming, uh, applications. Some of the groundbreaking stuff we're going to be yeah, watching the, the, or not stuff watching we do in the next two years is going to blow your fucking mind. Yeah. Uh, well, Ben, let's do, are you fucking kidding me? And then we will, uh, we'll, we'll, we'll wrap this round up, uh, and move on to round number three. Ben, what, what's your, are you fucking kidding me for this week? Well, Chad, as I'm sure you saw, uh, Vitor Belfort recently told, uh, MMA fighting, uh, in an interview from his gym that his testosterone levels on fight night for his last fight with Dan Henderson were actually low. Oh, sure they were. Yeah. Yeah. We looked like a 98-pound weakling. Yeah, just wasting away the poor waif, Vitor <laughs> Belfort. Then uh, also has a quote to MMA Fighting where he talks about how he's waiting for the winner of Silva Weidman, the, the rematch, uh, and that when he gets that person, quote, this fight will be in a soccer stadium. Whoever wins, I'm sure we can sell out Maracana or any other soccer stadium in Brazil. It would be really interesting. Okay, so so the testosterone levels were low, low. first, Second which you can all, tell because the picture accompanying that article shows him with his his poor diminished traps barely bulging even to the point of his ears. Second of all, we're gonna go ahead and book this thing in Brazil already. Already, okay. Well, that eases my mind. Yeah, are you fucking kidding me? Have you not been listening to anything everybody's been saying? That's the whole fucking issue. Fucking kidding me? Are you fucking kidding me? Well, Ben, this week my are you fucking kidding me goes out to Chinzo Machida. I don't know how this guy is going to take damn near three months or three years off, then come in uh, to his comeback fight at RFA 11 and damn near knock Brian Woods head right off his shoulders with one of the nastiest running, flying, jumping knees you're ever going to see. That shit was mean. And he's going to do it all while sta- uh, sounding like some lost m- member of the Godfather trilogy. Like he's going to pop out of an alley somewhere and, and shoot Mo Green through the eye. <laughs> like someone's going to come to Michael Corleone and be like, Michael, what are we going to do about the Rosado brothers? And Michael's going to say, don't worry about it. I sent Chinzo to take care of oh, it. Not Chinzo. Are you fucking kidding me? Fucking kidding it's one me. of the awesomest things ever. Fucking kidding me. Anyway, that's going to do it for round number two. We will be right back with round number three. All right, Ben, uh, I'm checking the Twitter machine as we record this just to make sure there's no one on here tweeting about how awesome it is that Ben Askren just signed with the UFC. Uh, I don't see any of that, so it seems like they really are going to wait until we've got this thing recorded to tell us what happens at this uh, much-publicized meeting that the, I guess, former Bellator welterweight champion is supposed to have with the UFC today. Uh, this has been a real saga, a real love story with tons of ins and outs, breakups and makeups. Not a love story. All yeah. kinds of stuff happening. At this point, if you, uh, if you had to put it, if you had to put a bet down, does Ben Askren sign with the UFC? Yes. 
I say he does. Immediately, like right away, or are we talking about he has to go to World Series of Fighting and, and beat up John Fitch or something first? I suspect that he will sign with the UFC without having the first sign with somebody else, although I would not be blown away if he did have to go to the World Series of Fighting and, and beat up somebody, Josh Berkman or somebody over there. Although I think that'd be a real damn shame. And this whole thing, I don't know, maybe, uh, maybe I, I've taken it to mean too much about the entire sport but the whole thing the more i think about it the more it pisses me off the more obviously it seems ben Askren is good enough to fight in the ufc better than a lot of the dudes in the ufc obviously right. he should be there he's ufc quality at to say the very least about him uh and the only reasons why he's not already in the ufc is one because of this kind of pissing contest between the ufc and bellator uh you know, the UFC does not want to allow itself to be used in some kind of public relations ploy by Bellator, uh, especially if Ben Askren comes over and does really well in the UFC. Uh, and also because the UFC probably feels that Ben Askren is just boring as all hell, which I will not disagree with. But I also maintain that if this is going to be a goddamn sport, that shouldn't matter. I get that, hey, maybe you don't want to take him and immediately put him in a title fight, whereas maybe you would if he was, say, a Brock Lesnar or somebody like that coming in with a you know, huge uh, backing and a lot of people willing to pay to see him. I'm not saying that you know it has to be completely equal all across. I get that the ability to get people to pay to see you means something, but it shouldn't be the difference between getting a job or not. You should still get the chance if this is a sport and if that's what we care about is what you can do in the cage on fight night. Isn't that what we care about? Wasn't that whole the whole idea? Yeah, well, I mean, that's that's always been my theory, and the, the, the thing that's always been special about the UFC is that because it has this uh, – it represents this strong centralized power in, in the mixed martial arts world. It's always had the uh, ability to put on the the fights that the fans wanted to see and the fights between the best guys in the world. And while fans may not really be clamoring to see Ben Askren uh, come in and, and, and inflict his ground based attack on the, on the welterweight division, I don't think that you can deny that he's, he's uh, one of the best fighters in the world. As you said, certainly arguably better than some of the guys that, that you can see uh, on this weekend's tough 18 finale, for instance, who don't have Wikipedia pages. Uh, they just have the normal black unclickable names uh, on the, on the page, but those guys work cheap. Yes, Real yes, they cheap. do. And that's the thing that I was going to ask you next is that uh, when you're the UFC and you've got a couple of competitors out there, you know, obviously Bellator seems like it's pretty much off the table for Ben Askren, but you've still got World Series of Fighting out there and they've already said that uh, they would be interested in having him. How much of this saga with Ben Askren do you think is just uh, puppetry, so to speak, just sort of an act uh, to try to bring down his asking price, because you know he's a guy, he comes in 12-0, uh, undefeated champion from uh, from Bellator, a guy who uh, it was part of this uh, Olympic team that has gone some ridiculous number, like 500-0 uh, in mixed martial arts since, since crossing over to the MMA world, uh, and you know, is a guy who's going to come in and be outspoken and maybe he's going to have a, a slightly inflated sense of himself. How much of this is the UFC giving him a little chin check and being like, well, maybe you should look around a little bit and see what your other options are as a way of telling him you don't really have a ton of other options. Like how much of that is done to bring down his asking price and to bring him to the table in a way where the UFC has the upper hand and not necessarily Ben Askren. You know, as depressing as that is to think about, I guess I hope that that's it. Because the alternative is that the UFC is just trying to find a way to not take a guy who, uh, for what the UFC is concerned, might be too good. Is What would be the big fear about signing a guy like Ben Askren? If he doesn't pan out, that, you know, what he put on a couple boring fights and then you had to cut him. I mean, the UFC has been there before. The big fear I think would be that you pay for him. He comes over, he becomes your welterweight champ and he dominates for the next 10 years and nobody ever buys another pay-per-view that he's on. I think that would be the worst case scenario. And even though I understand that the UFC is a business and I hear about this from people on my Twitter, every time I talk about how I think it's kind of a moral imperative for the UFC to sign Ben Askren, at least find out what the hell he can do in there. Uh, I still think, if you push that too far in one direction where 
you're, you're just thinking about who can sell tickets and who can sell pay-per-views. Well, then shit, man. We might as well do Jose Canseco and Bob Sapp. Yeah. I wasn't <laughs> listening there for a minute, but I came back for the whole Canseco Sapp thing. It's uh, whatever point you were making. I like it. I'm on board. I mean, that- how much you want me to pay? Twenty four ninety nine on Ustream. You got me. <laughs> well, we have some groundbreaking options for how you're going to be able to see it, actually. Uh, but, you know, I, I feel like sometimes we can, in this sport, justify all kinds of crazy shit to ourselves by saying, like, oh, man, it's a business. It's entertainment. That kind of stuff. Okay, yeah, but it's supposed to also be a sport, right? That's why we keep saying fastest growing sport in the world. That's why I keep comparing it to all these other sports like football and soccer. Like, you just wouldn't see somebody be like, well, yeah, we think that... Uh, you know, this golfer might come in and then just totally rule everybody's asses and win the Masters every year. But I don't know, man. It'd be boring and people wouldn't really pay to buy his Callaway shirts or whatever it is that they sell. Um, so we're going to keep him out. I mean, that would be complete bullshit. Like, you got to let the guy have a chance and see what he can do. I mean, if you want to try a, a couple little tricks to bring down his asking price, uh, you know, it's kind of brutal business shit, but I guess that's how it works. Fine. But you got to give him a chance, man. You got to find out what he can do in there. See, now you're starting to sound more and more like me. It just warms my heart. Well, that that, that makes me think I must be wrong and not realize <laughs> it yet. Uh, well, yeah, but you're right, though. Uh, uh, and the thing that kind of bothers me about this conversation, and you're right that like whenever this comes up, you'll always get people who are going to contact you and be like, and then try to explain to you why the UFC wouldn't want to do something. Yeah, like as if sign. I'm going to go, oh, okay, yeah. I get it now. It's about money. I had that part hadn't even occurred to me. Right, as if you don't know. Uh, you, we also don't work for them, right? So like, <laughs> the, the their reasoning doesn't necessarily enter into our opinions. Uh, uh, but I feel like this is a relatively new development in this sport to be like, well, this guy's not exciting enough or like this guy's fighting style is not exciting enough. And by, you know, when I say new development, I mean, maybe over the last, what, five to eight years or something like that, because clearly we just saw this UFC fighting for a generation uh, PR documentary uh, where they made a big deal about how in the early days of the UFC, they tried to make it into a spectacle and really uh, exciting to draw in fans. But at the same time, during those early days of the UFC, there was almost no attention paid to like how exciting a guy's fighting style was, you know, like hoist Grace. He wasn't the most exciting dude in the world to watch, and neither, frankly, were guys like Mark Coleman or Dan Severin. Mark Coleman's going to come over here and headbutt you in the face right now. Okay, well, that's exciting, and that would be exciting. <laughs> yes. uh, but you know, you know what I mean. Like during the early days of this sport, the guys who were dominating it, guys like Matt Hughes, for example, uh, they weren't the most flashy Anthony Pettis kind of guys who were going to go out and throw cartwheel kicks. You know, even Randy Couture, yeah, who until, say Randy Couture. until you edit him out of your documentary, is one of the most beloved and respected figures in the history of the sport not that exciting of a fighter he's a guy who's going to come in and pin you up against the cage and and uh dirty box with you and wear out your cardio and then when you're tired he's going to hoist you up over the top of the cage and slam you down and literally spank your ass when it's over <laughs> like and, and and it's not going to be that exciting so like wh- when did we get to this point where where uh like the thrill factor of watching a dude fight was the the end all beat all yeah and i guess i just like Stuff like this every once in a while, and the same thing with the TRT thing, uh, always makes me pause and consider how this must look to an outsider. Like, if you tell somebody, like, yeah, there's this guy out there, uh, he might be one of the best welterweights in the world, or he might not be. The only way, really, to find out is to put him in the UFC and see how he does, but we don't want to do that because he might not be that fun to watch. Well, shit, man. How, How the hell is that something that you can get behind as a fan? Like, you should... I mean, even if I like, I don't personally really get excited about watching Ben Askren fight, but the argument that like, hey, he'll just take you down and lay on you. Well, stop him then. Don't let him do that. Right. That's what the whole appeal of the sport is supposed to be that like once you actually put them in the cage and let this stuff sort itself out, it's the ultimate truth machine. You know, we'll we'll find out our answer by the end of the night and to not even allow the ingredients to go into place for us to get that answer like that's manipulative on the part of the promoters which i think is like one of the major things that could actually hurt this sport like you can't do that you gotta it's america man you gotta let them fight 
get him in there. Let's see what actually happens. Like, I, I for one, do not subscribe to the theory that Ben Askren is just going to hold everybody in the welterweight division down one by one in a boring display of dominance. I think somebody's going to be able to either stop him or force him to do something else other than that. The question is, can he do it? I actually want to have the answer to that. Did you just go first ever scene of The Wire on us a few seconds ago when you said it's America? You got to let him fight. Remember the first oh, scene yeah, of The Wire yeah. is where they... The guy's telling McNulty about snot boogies, stealing, snot all, boogies. The, stealing right. all the money from the dice game. Oh, wow. Anyway, well, that's going to do it for this week's uh, episode of the Co-Main We're Event Podcast. Oh, no, you know, we got to do Just Saying Stuff. Oh, we so do. I got confused there with my excitement about snot boogie. Yeah. Ben, what's your Just Saying Stuff for this week? Well, Chad, my Just Saying Stuff, uh, as I think you saw, uh, Bellator middleweight champion Alexander Slomenko. I saw about 12 seconds of it. Uh dropped Doug Marshall with a body shot. To That's the 12 seconds I saw. <laughs> to defend his Bellator middleweight title. Well, Chad, I'm just saying that even though his name sounds like something you'd make up if you were trying to pretend that you knew somebody in Russia, and somebody's like, oh, really? Who do you know? And you're like, oh, Alexander Slomenko? Slomenko? Yeah. No, we're good friends. Yeah, he's totally Russian. Uh, even though... Sounds like a badly concocted alias. And even though he is over there in Bellator where, you know, you end up fighting dudes like Doug Marshall and having to drop him with a body shot. I think maybe it might be time to start considering taking that dude seriously in the middleweight ranks. Wow. You are just talking up the mid mid range Bellator weight classes. I'm just today. saying. I'm just saying that dude. Be nice is, if you said some stuff scary. about the cruiserweight division. I'm just saying. <laughs> Well, Ben, this week I'm just saying that that on Saturday night we're going to put a bow on uh, Tough 18, and uh, it's kind of depressing to think that the fights to decide who gets into the house for Tough 19 already happened like a month ago. Oh, God. Uh, so I'm sure that you know what that means. It means that Tough 20 is right around the corner. I assume there's a huge gala event planned for that one. Well, it's interesting that you should say that because I have an idea for Tough 20 that I think everyone is really going to like. Oh, no. For Tough 20, here's what we do. We reunite the entire cast of Tough 1 with Randy Couture and Chuck Liddell as coaches, and we refight both tournaments to find out who would win today. Can Willa Ford come? Absolutely. I'm, I'm saying we take everybody. I'm talking about Diego Sanchez, Chris Lieben, Kenny Florian. Bobby Southworth. Bobby Southworth, Faux Griff. Uh, Chris Strange Sanford, Brew. Jason, Strange Jason Thacker, Josh Rafferty. You take, you're telling me you don't want to see a 40 year old Chris Sanford rematch with 36 year old Josh Koscheck from exactly their epic fight from the tough one finale. I'm absolutely telling you that. Yes, I do not want to see that. That that's just one free idea for you. UFC. I'm just saying, just saying. Anyway, that is going to do it for the co-main event podcast this week. We'll be back next week to break down all the stuff that happened at the Tough 18 finale and to look forward into December and beyond. As for right now, we're done. We're through. We are out. So just so I understand, when you have a hardcore band, are you obliged to put HC at the end of the, your website? Is it like having a soccer team where you just pack on FC yeah, at the end? You don't have to, but you can. Okay. Just to let everybody know what's up. Yes. Like, oh, uh, Southampton.